day of the week during lunch, I eat some carrots usually. Most often is, is I'll have a few carrots. Sandra will shave those carrots. I'll shave the skin and wash them up, cut them up a little bit, and I, when I'm gone, and, and I'll, I'll eat them. They're good and cold in my cooler. And I'll eat them. And I got to thinking about those, and not everybody likes them. And so what I want to talk about is what we're going to do about those carrots. I'll explain it a little bit more after a while. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Kings chapter 10, verses 25 through 28. And this is what Stephen was talking about a couple weeks ago. He mentioned it. 2 Kings 10, verses 25 through 28. It says, Now it happened as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offerings that Jehu said to the guard and to the captains, Go in and kill them, let no one come out. And they killed them with the edge of the sword. Then the guards and the officers threw them out and went into the inner room of the temple of Baal, and they brought the sacred pillar out of the temple of Baal and burned them. Then they broke down the uh, sacred pillar of Baal and tore down the temple of Baal and made it a refuse dump to this day. Thus Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. And uh, here's Jehu getting rid of idol worship in Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel. And so it's gone. And in chapter 2 Kings 11, uh, in verse 17 and 18, 2 Kings 11, verses 17 and 18, says, Then Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord, the king, and the people, that they should be the Lord's people, and also between the king and the people. And all the people of the land went to the temple of Baal, tore it down. They thoroughly brought in pieces, uh, broke in pieces its altars and images, and killed Matan, the priest of Baal before the altars and the priest appointed officers over the house of the Lord. So Jehoiada, the priest destroys the temple of Baal in Jerusalem. So that's over. Except there's only one problem. It's not over. But it's gone for a while. But it's not really gone. So Baal worship is destroyed in Israel and Judah. So why is it that years later there was idol worship in these places? Why is that? Let's go back a little further. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1. Verses 34 through 40. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 1, verses 34 through 40. And the Lord heard the sound of your words and was angry and took an oath, saying, Surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall see that uh, good land of which I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it, and to him and his children I am giving the land of which he walked because he wholly followed the Lord. The Lord was also angry with me for your sake, saying, even you shall not go in there. Moses talking. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall go in there, encouraging him, uh, encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Moreover, your little ones and your children, who you say will be victims, who today have no knowledge of, of good and evil, they shall go in there, to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, 
turn and take your journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And in Psalms chapter 78, reinforcing what we just read, Psalm 78, in verses 17 through 22, 17 through 22, but they sinned even more against him by rebelling against the Most High in the wilderness, and they tested God in their heart by asking for the food for their fancy. Yet they spoke against God. Yes, they spoke against God. They said, Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Behold, he struck the rock, so the waters gushed out, and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide meat for his people? Therefore the Lord heard this and was furious. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel, because they did not believe in God, and they did not trust in his salvation. So those uh, who did not want to do what the Lord wanted done in the wilderness were not allowed to enter the promised land. Moreover, the Lord was displeased with them so much that they died in the wilderness. In Hebrews chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, says, For who, having heard, believed, or rebelled, rather, Indeed, was it not those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? So the people of Israel have, have uh, what soon would be the people of Israel. Yeah, they're still the people of Israel. Israel's people had come out of Egypt, and they were to take the promised land, and they didn't want it. They, no, we were, we're, not, we, we're, we're as grasshoppers for these people. And so they didn't want to do what God said do. And so he, those that didn't want to take the land died in the wilderness. And the Lord was very displeased with them. And so they're all gone, the ones that didn't want to do what the Lord said do. And why was it Israel wasn't faithful after this? Why? They had kings that didn't want to serve the Lord and they served idols, so they got rid of the idols. Before that, when they were evil in the, in the wilderness... They didn't want to take the land. He got rid of them. So why is it Israel isn't faithful afterwards? Let's go back a little further even. Let's go to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. Verses 5 through 7. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. So every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, man's heart. The Lord was sorry he had made man. He's grieved in his heart. He said, I'll destroy man from the face of the earth, for I'm sorry that I've made them. Then when you read verses 11 and 12 of Genesis 6, the earth was also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was cor corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. There's violence in this. So he destroys all except eight. Noah, 
his wife, his three sons, and their wives, eight people, is all that's left on the earth. The violence has been eliminated. But why was violence seen later in Scripture? You see a pattern here? Why don't men follow the Lord? I mean, from the early on, some ever how long after creation in Genesis 6, he destroyed the wicked man. So what's the problem? What are we to do? Why are men not following the Lord? We don't want to serve him. Obviously, we just don't want to. We don't want, in general, we don't want what God wants for us. I think that's pretty evident. We want to do what we want to do. We grieve the Lord because we're hard-headed. We just want to do it our way. We do. And we have a tempter who is good at appealing to us, and we're gullible enough to believe him. We just are. We just we see something, and it's that carrot that's dangling out there, and it's that something for us to strive for, and it's sin, and we go running after it, and we keep running, and we run all our lives. That's the way men are. That's the way he is. What has God shown us? He's shown us that that's not the right way. He destroyed those who did those things. But yet we, we're right there. And sometimes we're running to it, but we're saying, no, no, no. And we're, we're, we keep running at it. So what do we do about those carrots? What are we going to do with all those things that's tied up to that carrot, those cars and that house and that TV and those sin that's just abounds in this world. What are we going to do? That's where we are. In Ephesians 5.15, he says, See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. See that you walk circumspectly. Now, I have uh, three scriptures well, let me just think about something before I get to the scriptures. You see that carrot over there with the, the stuff tied to it? I don't, I, I don't like getting political or anything, and this is really not political, but just think about it with me, if you will. The alcohol industry wants you to drink responsibly. It's, uh, I don't know how many people have died in car wrecks because of being impaired because of alcohol. But yet, you drive responsibly. I don't know how many people have died. We can advertise but, but we gotta, for alcohol, but we've got to drive responsibly. I don't know how many people have died from smoking. I don't know. The cancer that it causes doesn't cause it in everybody. But yet it causes it. And so here's the federal government says, you can't advertise. You sell the product, but don't advertise. What sense does it make? What about, I don't know. Um, oh, 
laws are being enacted now where it's legal for marijuana to be used medicinally, and now states have taken that a step further and said, we're just going to legalize it. We're just going to do it. And it's okay. Not this state yet. Yet. It's coming, but not yet. Well, what about, um, okay, what about divorce for anything? What about it? I mean, that's not a political thing. But what about divorce? Yeah, country says, let's just do it. Any reason you want to, it can happen. And so well, there we are. It's all legal. Everything's legal. But is that what God wants? We have clear scripture that tells us about divorce. And there's other things. I, let's, let me get off of it. Just thought about some of those things this morning. And uh, anyway, so what are we supposed to do about these carrots that are dangling out there for us? And that's to walk circumspectly. I got three scriptures I want us to look at that there's a word or two in there that will show us what this word circumspectly means. In Matthew chapter 2, in verse 8, it says, And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young man, for the young child, and when you have found him, bring him back to me, that I may come and worship him also. So they're supposed to go back and search carefully for this child, for Jesus. Go bring him back. So carefully, keep that in mind, circumspectly, carefully. How about 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 2. For you yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. You know perfectly. You walk perfectly, he says. Circumspectly. And also in Acts chapter 18 and verse 5. This man has been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he taught and uh, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. He's talking about Apollos. He was eloquent in the scripture, but he knew only the baptism of John. So uh, they taught him accurately the things of the Lord. Circumspectly. We need to walk. That's the same Greek word in those three verses that the Greek word for circumspectly is. So what you have uh, amounts to is you walk diligently, accurately, exactly. God wants us to be exactly like he wants us to be. He wants to, to be diligent in the way we live so that we don't end up like the rest of the world. What are we going to do about those carrots? Here we... We're being prodded to do those things that God doesn't want us to do. If you were in a war zone, let's see, Jerry's had military service, or he has military service, I don't know. I had some. But if you're in a war zone, and I never was, I don't think they were. But my the training I had in the military, if you're in on patrol, for instance. You're supposed to be aware of everything around you. Is the enemy over here? You're always alert to them uh, or for an occasion in which you might be trapped and annihilated. 
And so you walk circumspectly. You're observing everything so that nothing wrong happens. Suzette's had surgery, surgery recently. When you come home from surgery, she didn't want to take a false step and wind up with her face on the floor. And anybody that has surgery, you, you're careful when you come home so that nothing bad happens. And so that's why we need to walk circumspectly to prevent those dangers, to stay away from danger so that, uh, uh, and we don't go to places that are a dangerous danger to, uh, to our souls because we must sin. Why go to places that there's a good possibility those things are gonna happen? So constant care must be given. We've gotta be aware every day so we need to be wise and aware in our living. So what do we do about those carrots? This one's got a hook in it. Because when we get a hold of it, we're stuck sometimes. Well, I mean, we just, we're just, we're, our soul's in danger. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 27, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection lest when I preach to others, I may, myself should be disqualified. I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. That discipline is, if I can find my notes, the, the, the Greek word would mean to beat black and blue, to smite so as to cause bruises and livid spots. Like a boxer who one buffets his body, handles it roughly, and disciplines it by hardship. That's what we do when we discipline ourselves. We do what's not comfortable for, it, for us to be doing. And it's learning that molds character and forces correct conduct. Discipline the body, put it in subjection so it's more ready to do what, I, what God wants to do than what I want to do. In Genesis 43, verse 31, Moses, no, Joshua is, met his brothers and they brought Benjamin back with them. This is the second time they've been to Egypt. And he sees Benjamin and he looks for a place to go weep. And he comes back and he restrains himself from telling them who he is just yet. He restrains himself. So we need to exercise restraint in the way we live so that when we are tempted by myriads of things that are unlawful in God's eyes, lawful in man's eyes, but unlawful in God's eyes, we don't get hooked and are in danger of our souls for the rest of our existence. We have to fight. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. We're, we're in this earth, and we are bound here for as long as we live, but are we really a part of it? We are to be looking for something else far and away better than this place. So set our minds on things above, not on things of the earth. 
in, in uh, 2 John 8, look to yourselves <clears throat> that we do not lose those things which we work for, but they, we may receive a full reward. There won't be a half reward, but getting the full reward, looking to ourselves, being circumspect, being aware of all this, the dangerous, sinful things that can harm our soul so that we don't lose the things that we work for. We don't lose what God's promised us by careless living. In Colossians 1.10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We're here to remember the blood and the body that hanged on the cross and the blood that was shed for us. To remember that and the reason for that is because of my sin and because of all of our sins. And that he died for us that we wouldn't have to suffer the consequences of our behavior. And so he, he did no wrong, but he took my sins with him on the cross. So we should walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work. That's, being, that's not a suggestion to be fruitful, but it's a requirement, actually, that we be fruitful in every good work. And another purpose for us to be here is incre helping us increase in the knowledge of God. We, that's not enough just to learn about God while we're here, but learn about God while we're not here, which is most of the time, just a few hours a week that we are here. Turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. I want to look at just a few verses, not very many. Let's look at verses 101 and 102. <clears throat> I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments for you yourself have taught me. Again, I'll say, we don't often think that when we read scripture that God's teaching us. But in effect, that is what he's doing. I mean, this is his holy word that we have. And it's there for us to learn how to live and to learn to obey him. I restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. He didn't do things that possibly he wanted to do so that he could say he could face the Lord and say, Make, I'm acceptable. Or that Lord, the Lord would say, actually, he's acceptable. There are things he just didn't do. Verses 104 through 106. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. Whoever the psalmist is, if this is David... He's made up his mind that I'm going to do what God says. It's not about me. I'll do what you say. I have a life that leads me and it's your word that gives me the place to walk that I might not go off to the left or to the right. Verse 112. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. When's he going to be through serving God? 
When will it happen? When he's gone to the very end. In verse 114, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. That we have this uh, written record for us that gives us hope. That if we do this, we'll be saved from the punishment of sin. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, we want to read through verse 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Christ Jesus to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by, to, by which he made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather to, together in all things, in one, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So my goal in my life, because we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, because we're adopted as sons into God's family, we're accepted in the beloved, we're re redeemed through his blood, we have the forgiveness of sins, which is the same thing. We obtain an inheritance and sealed with the spirit of promise. And so my goal with all of those benefits that God has blessed us with would be my life would bring praise and glory to God. Three times it's mentioned in those verses something to that effect. That that's why I'm here. That my life will shine a good light on the Lord because of what he's done for me. Because of what he's done for us. And that we might live right and bring others to him. Produce fruit. We do it by our good living and by our knowledge of, of God. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. 
He's chosen a, these a people. They're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Set apart from the things of this world. His own special people. That we may proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness. My life should be to praise him by the way I live, by the way you live. Because in God's eyes, we weren't his. We, weren't, we didn't belong to him. We were not a people of his, but now we are. We've obtained mercy. So what's my attitude? My goal is to be thankful and show gratitude for what he's done for us. Those carrots, we can take care of those carrots by not giving in to temptation. By not doing what the world wants to do. But living the way he wants us to live. Do we need to make something right with God? Need to obey the gospel? Have sins forgiven? Have every spiritual blessing? Adopted as sons into God's family? Accepted in the beloved, redeemed through his blood, forgive, sins forgiven. If you haven't, or if you have and need the prayers of faithful saints about some matter, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing? <laughs>